right, all right. Well, listen, it is good to have you here at City First Church. How many of you excited to be in church this weekend? Come on. Yeah, I'm excited. Church is always a great place to be, and I'm just excited because God is here, and whether you're joining us in person or online, God is also in your living room. God is in God behind bars also, so we say hello to Dixon and Hardy, Southwest Florida, City First Anywhere, from all of us here in the state line area. Well, I have a a story I want to start out with. Uh, A little over 158 years ago, on April 14th of 1865 at approximately 10.20 p.m. in the evening, a very prominent American actor came up a back stairwell and went into the private seating box of the 16th president of the United States as he was watching a play called Our American Cousin. Many of you remember history class and learning about this, but the prominent actor's name was John Wilkes Booth, and he pulled out a gun and he shot President Abraham Lincoln in the back of the head before he jumped out of the box, and John Wilkes Booth landed on the stage. Some say that he broke his ankle at that point, but he screamed out a Latin statement and then ran out the door. Our President Abraham Lincoln was carried out of the Ford Theater across the street to a private home where he was laid in a bed and the doctors attended to him bedside throughout the night. But unfortunately, at about 7.22 in the morning, Abraham Lincoln succumbed to his wounds and he passed away. And at that point, the Secretary of War said a statement that we quote nowadays. He said this, now... He belongs to the ages. If you study Abraham Lincoln, he was a pretty amazing leader. He endured a lot of hardship. He overcame a lot of personal tragedy, even in his family. And he overcame a lot of the odds. And he is believed to be the one, one of the primary figures that helped abolish slavery in our nation. He stood against slavery. Uh, The nation was divided. It was literally in a civil war at that time. If you read his his writings and, and different biographies, he hated the civil war. He hated that the nation was divided and literally killing itself. In fact, he faced great criticism, not just from those in the South who were part of the Confederate Army and the Confederate States, but he also faced a lot of criticism from those in the North. He wasn't necessarily loved in the North by everybody, but yet he was a man of conviction. History would tell us he's a man that believed in God. He was a man of faith. He stood for what he believed for, and it eventually cost him his life. But what's interesting is once they remove the body from the house, And they prepared the body for burial. They put his body on a train that left Washington, D.C. and took 13 days to come to the state that I'm in right now, Illinois, to Springfield, where he would eventually be buried. In those 13 days, the train made multiple stops. And history tells us that millions of Americans stood alongside of the tracks and at the places where the train stopped to pay their respects to the fallen president. And you know this from history class, that Abraham Lincoln is considered one of the greatest American presidents ever. He's credited for significantly 
helping to abolish slavery in this nation. He was an incredible man. But that night that he passed away, history also tells us that they emptied his pockets and they found certain things in the president's pockets. They found a couple of pairs of reading glasses, spectacles they call them. They found a pocket knife, a pocket watch, a handkerchief. They found a sleeve button that had fallen off of his suit that he had tucked in his pocket. They found his wallet, and then this is what's interesting. They found eight newspaper clippings. In other words, he had taken newspapers and he had cut out eight articles. Some of them were commentaries, some of them were editorials, and some were articles. All of them describing his presidency, and all of them were affirming of him as an individual. In other words, he carried eight articles in his pockets that were basically saying he was doing a good job. Why would the President of the United States carry newspaper clippings with him? One might wonder if the great Abraham Lincoln, who we celebrate now over 150 years later, if he carried around these newspaper articles because he privately would look at them every once in a while to remind himself that he was a good man and he was doing good work. You wouldn't think that for somebody as prominent as Lincoln, right? I mean, so celebrated, millions of people paid respect to him once he passed away. You wouldn't think that there would be maybe this need to carry these, these affirmative kind of messages with him to remind himself that he actually was a decent leader, but maybe that's why he carried them. We really don't know. But this is what I do know, City First, in 2023. We are all carrying messages. Now, they're not physical ones. I doubt any of you are carrying a physical message about yourself in your pocket right now. But you know what you do? You carry mental ones. There are messages maybe that were crafted by others. Maybe it's commentary from others on what they think about your work, they think about your life, they think about your decisions, they think about your choices that you make, that people have opinions and they've created these messages and you're carrying them even today. Or maybe, or maybe they're autobiographical. In other words, you have created the messages on what you think about yourself, your looks, your performance, what you do for a living, what people think about you, you're creating these ideas too. What, what do these messages say? Because we all carry them. We all are thinking them. What do they say? You know, like, are you carrying messages in your pocket that maybe it's like condemnation? You, uh, you made some really wrong choices in the past, and because of that, you go to bed at night, and you wake up in the morning, you think about those choices. You can't crawl over them. That's a message you're carrying with you. How about this one, shame? You know, a lot of times, that's the enemy's work, right? We make a mistake, and we immediately feel shameful about it. We, we, we have shoulders forward, chin down. We, we, we can't walk with confidence because we are carrying a message of shame. How about regret? All of us have regrets. I guarantee you if we could time warp back and go back to specific times where we would make different decisions or say different things or not say different things, we probably would do it, right? Or how about like pride? 
We carry around a message of pride. We're trying to act like we have it all together because in reality, we know deep down in the inside we don't. Insecurity, that's another one. Maybe we're carrying a message of guilt. I don't know what it is, but we all carry messages. Or on the other side, are we carrying positive messages like Abraham Lincoln did that day. Maybe we're carrying a message of freedom today, that we are reminding ourselves that whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Or maybe, maybe it's strength. We realize this, that you know what? In ourselves, we're weak, but with Christ, we are strong. Maybe we're carrying around a message of joy. I got the joy, 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 Down in my heart, right? Some of you remember that song, Sunday School? Grace, amazing grace, more than just a song. Maybe we carry a message of grace today. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, we're all carrying messages. How do we change the mental messages that are the wrong messages? How do we make them the right messages? How do we carry the right commentary in our lives? Well, before I answer that question, let me lay down a foundation of truth of some things. First of all, this. Many times we mistakenly think that when we give our lives to Jesus, we make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of our life, that at that point we will enter into an easier life. But that isn't necessarily true. We'll enter into an easier afterlife, but sometimes life still on earth is hard. How many of you, you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you would say sometimes life is still hard, right? Say amen, right? Okay, me too. We live in a world full of a lot of battle and and a lot of difficulty and a lot of opposition, but here's the thing. A lot of battles take place right here. Even after you give your life to Jesus, there's still a battle happening between your ears. And I would even say that may be the most important fight of your life. More than any physical fight, career fight, relational fight, it is the fight for right up here that frames everything out here. See, once you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you and I must enter into, willingly enter into the process of renewing our mind. It's not automatic. Just because I'm saved doesn't mean my mind is right. Does that make sense? And God will help us, though. God will help us to get the right mind. Our brain's kind of like a hard drive that's been corrupted by a virus. It needs to be erased and a new, like, operating system installed, a heavenly operating system installed, and we start thinking correctly. I'd say it this way. You're saved, but your thoughts are not. (laughs) Turn the person next to you and say, amen, that's true. (laughs) I'll give you an example, all right? We're saved, but that means we're still in a fight to make sure that our mind is sanctified. Here's an example. If you read the Bible, the Bible says that God is a triune being. Now, that's a very kind of like heavy word for a Sunday morning, but basically, we believe in God the Trinity. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. By the way, today is Pentecost Sunday. It was 50 days after resurrection that the Holy Spirit fell and now dwells inside of Christ followers. And so, here's the thing. We believe in the three persons of the Trinity, three parts 
one God. But do you know that we're also made in the image of God? Which means that you're a triune being too. You may have never thought about this. You're like, really? Yeah, there's three parts of you. Body, soul, and spirit. So we are a triune being, body, soul, and spirit. I want my friends to come up here. I'm going to illustrate something here when it comes to renewing the mind. Uh, I'd like Pastor Cam to come up here, Cameron and Zoe. Give them a round of applause as they come up. All right. So body, soul, and spirit. Uh, Cam, you're going to be the body, all right, obviously. Are right, you going to be the body, okay? All right. Um, I'm going to be the soul, and Zoe, you're going to be the spirit. Okay, now, before you're saved, Cam, let's move over here a minute. Before you're saved, it's basically the body and the soul just hanging out, okay? Doing our own thing, whatever I feel, whatever I, you know, want to do, we're just doing. Okay, so body, soul, and spirit. But here, here, what's the soul? What exactly is the soul? People are like, oh, my soul. What does soul mean? Soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. An easier way of saying that is, it is your thinker, your chooser, and your feeler. Is your thinker, your chooser, and your feeler godly? <laughs> Maybe yours is. Mine isn't. All right. Because a lot of times I think wrong thoughts, I choose wrong things, and, I, and feelings, well, feelings are all over the place, all right? So before I'm saved, my thinker, my chooser, and my feeler, we're just hanging out. The body and I are hanging out. We're doing whatever we want, you know? If it feels good, let's do it. If I think it's good, let's do it, right? We just are having a good old time. Unfortunately, it's kind of a hollow life. It's not a godly life. It's not the best life. It's not life more abundantly. But then when we get saved, come back over here, now all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is with us. Now all of a sudden the Spirit of God lives inside of us. Now it is, in a sense, body, soul, and spirit. But... The Spirit of God is trying to influence my mind, my will, and my emotions. But guess what I do sometimes as a soul? I like to argue with the Spirit. I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to love my neighbor. I don't want to do the right things. I don't want to feel the right things. And so I'm having this tug of war between the flesh and the Spirit. Does that make sense? And so what we're going to talk about today is this part of you right here. We're going to talk about your mind. We're going to talk about your will. We're going to talk about your feelings. We're going to talk about how to have the right messaging to reprogram this part of you to agree with the Spirit and stop agreeing with the flesh, all right? Give them a round of applause as they have a seat. Your mind, my mind, our minds have been programmed for years prior to salvation. Don't think that the minute you pray a prayer that all of a sudden it all gets deleted and you start thinking like Jesus. Old habits die really hard. In fact, uh, the Bible talks about this, talks about kind of in a sense that for as he, and it could be she, as he or she thinketh in his or her heart, so is he, all right? Now, it's very old uh, English language there. That's out of the King James Version. But, you know, as you think, so you are. Your thoughts frame your future, all right? And this month, we've been talking about this idea of, of having a beautiful mind and mental health and how to think the right thoughts. Well, your actions are a direct result of your thought life. So, 
going back, the, the Bible says this in, in Matthew, states this. Either make a tree sound, healthy, and good, so you have a healthy tree, what are you going to have? It's fruit, sound, healthy, and good. So there's a connection here. Healthy tree, healthy fruit, all right? Conversely, though, make a tree rotten, diseased, and bad, and guess what its fruit is going to be? Rotten, diseased, and bad. For the tree is known and recognized and judged by its fruit. So in other words, we are judged by our fruit, but really the fruit is a result of the root, okay? If we change the root, then we will change the fruit. So a lot of times what we do is we try to change our actions, but that doesn't go very well. It's like, oh, I need to get new habits, I need to change my habits. What we really gotta do is really gotta go back to this illustration. We gotta change our thinking and our choosing and then not live by our feeling. we got to get in, in tandem with what the Spirit of God is speaking to us. If we change the root, then guess what? We'll change the fruit of our life. All right? You all with me on this? So let me go back to the question. How do we change the mental notes that we carry? Whatever they are. Well, first of all, we must know the Word of God well enough to compare what is in our minds to what is in the mind of God. We have to know the word of God, because here's the reason why. If we don't know the word of God, then we're going to think our feelings or our thoughts are true. But truth requires a standard. I realize that's kind of an archaic language in our culture nowadays, because everybody says truth is what you feel or what you think, but I'm telling you that's deception. That truth has to have a standard, and so that standard we must compare our thoughts to the Word of God. For a Christian, it's the Word of God. So I might be thinking this, but the Word of God says this, therefore I have to align my thinking with the Word of God. i got to compare. Does that make sense? It says in Joshua 1.8, you know, uh, God is speaking, and he says, keep the book of the law. In other words, back then, they didn't have the full Bible. They just only had, like, the first few books of the Bible, first five books of the Bible. And so here's the thing. It's like, keep the book of the law, you know, right there, always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that's written in it. In other words, what God is saying is, is keep the word of God on your lips, in your heart, so that you can compare. You can compare. You can meditate on it so you know these are my thoughts, these are God's thoughts, and if my thoughts are not aligned with God's thoughts, I need to align my thoughts with God's thoughts. Does that make sense? It goes on to say, then... You will be prosperous and you will be successful. When you know the word of God, when you meditate on the word of God, God says then you're going to have a life that's prosperous. Then you'll have a life that truly is successful. So what do you do? You compare. Second thing you got to do is this. You got to take captive. You got to take captive. What does that mean? Well, you know, let me go to the word of God here. It says that in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we demolish arguments. I, I love this version. Demolish. We demolish. All right? When you think back when you were a kid, maybe you played like with Legos or you had something you built, and then what did you do? You just wiped it out, right? You demolished it. That's the kind of word. We demolish what? Arguments and every pretension 
that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. In other words, everything that you're carrying, every message you're carrying that doesn't line up with God's word, you need to demolish it. Does that make sense? You need to demolish anything that argues with what the word of God says about you. You need to demolish it. Don't let it like hang out in the corner of your mind. Don't like, you know, treat it with furry gloves. Demolish it. I love this version. This version is saying it's toxic. It's poisonous. Whatever is contrary to the word of God that you're thinking about yourself, you need to get rid of it right away. And then it goes on to say this, and take captive every thought. Some thoughts? No, every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Oh, this is like, I'm going to take captive these thoughts that are rattling around in my mind. Because some of us, we just let our thoughts just run, 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 run around, run around. We think about them. We lay in bed. We're driving on the road. We're thinking about it. We just let our mind race and run. No, a Christ follower takes captive every thought and says, I'm not going to let you run around in here. I'm going to take captive, and I'm going to make that thought obedient to Jesus. I'm going to make it obedient. In other words, I'm going to align it with the word of God. I'm not going to allow it to just run rampant, unchecked, without a leash. Rather, instead, I'm going to take captive every thought and make it obedient. It takes work. <laughs> it really does. You know, this is the time of the year, um, just to speak honestly here, this is the time of the year where I, I tend to say things to the staff a lot. And I'm going to tell you as the congregation now what I say because I think it will be helpful for you too. In fact, on Friday, I had a staff chapel, and it was, um, you know, all the staff from here, uh, Cape Coral, um, you know, just everywhere, zooming in and stuff, and I, I told them this. I said, um, now is, is the time to not take yourself seriously. Not take yourself seriously. And that's a little bit of a Jeremyism. I've been saying it for decades, but here's the reason why. At City First, if you go way back to, like, August, okay, go way back to August of last year, we run really hard. Like starting in August, we're ramping up a new ministry season going into the fall. We do at the movies. Um, we have a life group series all the month of October. All of this takes a lot of work to put together on the staff's part. Um, we go right into the holidays. Holidays is one of the two Super Bowls of the church. I mean, you have Christmas and you have Easter, right? So you have, the, you have Christmas. And, and I mean, we're putting on multiple Christmas services. We're doing all these backpack giveaways. We're doing all this kind of stuff like that. You roll then into the first of the year. It's usually kind of like a new theme for the year. And, and, and you know, we have retreats. We have conferences. We have men's events. We get into then Easter, we're like dropping thousands of eggs out of helicopters, we're, we're having all of these services. Then right after Easter, up here in Rockford, we have the original conference, which again, I mean, it's awesome, but a lot of work. We go right into then Mother's Day, and then the school year ends, and this is what the staff feels. They feel pooped. <laughs> They just are. They're just, they're toast right now. Like, I'm telling you, I'm looking, I'm looking at some of the staff. I see them in the hallways, and I'm like, hello, hello. You know what I mean? Because everybody's so tired. They're just tired right now. And this is what I know about tiredness. Tiredness is the enemy's playground. Oh, man, when you get tired, you start getting stinking thinking, wonky thoughts. 
I mean, all the things start happening when you're tired. In fact, I say this about myself. Tiredness is like truth serum. I end up saying things. I'm like, oh, my gosh, why did I say that, right? Because I lose my filters. I'm tired. When you're tired, you tend to make poor decisions. Not always, but a lot, all right? When you're stressed, when you're challenged, all of us have rhythms of life. I just told you our church staff's rhythm. That may not be your rhythm. You might be invigorated right now, but maybe for you, you're tired after a certain other time of the year. I don't know what it is, but we all have these rhythms, and it's very important, very important that when we're tired, we don't take ourselves seriously because you're going to be feeling things that aren't right or correct or accurate. You're going to be thinking things that aren't right, aren't God. Now they're going to sound like God, but they're not God, all right? And, and you're, going to, you're going to just have these, like, mind games and things like that. So the, the, the uh, you know, kind of the prescription, I would, I would say, is this, is that it's a time to get rest. It's a time to refuel it's a time not to allow the thoughts to run around in your mind, but rather take them captive. So you first compare what's in our head to the Word of God. Then you take captive any false, toxic thoughts. And then what do you do? Thirdly, you talk to yourself. Now, some of you are like, I'm an expert at this. <laughs> like, you already are talking to yourself. You ever, sometimes Jen will walk into like the room and I'll be, I'll be having an, I'll be having an argument with somebody. You ever had one of these kind of things? But it's in my mind, not on the phone. It's just in my mind. I'm and she's like, who are you talking to now? I'm like, Jen, just leave me alone. It's fine. I'm having this, having this awesome argument. I'm winning, you know? <laughs> Do you know that Abraham Lincoln also did this? Upon his death, they found that he had written numerous letters to his political enemies, telling them what he thought, but then never mailed them. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? So, we talk to ourselves, but I want you to talk to yourself in a positive way, and this is what I mean. Dr. James Giles has this quote that I think is going to be the mic drop moment of this morning, and that is this. He said this, I've learned to talk to myself rather than listen to myself. Now that right there is worth your day because some of us, we're doing too much listening to our thoughts and listening to all the things and listening and the tiredness. Rather, he said, I've learned to talk to myself. So not only do you compare, not only do you take captive, but then you need to not just play defense, you got to go on the offense. You need to write some new messages that you carry with you. You need to write some new articles, some new commentary. You need to write some things that say, you know what? I believe truth right now. The truth of God, what he speaks over me is true. Let everything else be a lie. Let the word of God be true in my life, right? Or maybe you say this, forgiveness. I am forgiven. I am no longer held underneath the consequence or the, the blame of my wrong choices. So what do, you, what do you do? What do you do? You confess the word of God or your life. Now, what does it mean to confess? It seems like a churchy term. Confess means basically this, to say the same things as. So whatever God is saying about you, you say about you. That's, that's what confessing means. I'm going to say the same thing as. In fact, 
God speaks truth. He always speaks truth. He cannot lie because he can't, his character won't allow him to. So the Bible says in Psalm 119, it says, all your words are true, all God's words are true, and your righteous laws eternal. So when you confess the word, what you're really doing is you're speaking truth over your life. Do you know that God's word in your mouth is as powerful as God's words in his own mouth? I mean, that, that's something to think about. When you speak the truth of the word that God has already spoken, I'm telling you, it's powerful. So you're carrying fear. You're going, carrying fear. That's the commentary. That's the article. That's the editorial of my life. I'm carrying fear. Well, then what you do is you need to confess this. I do not have a spirit of fear, but rather of power, of love, and a sound mind according to 2 Timothy 1.7. When you carry stress, then you say, I cast all my cares on the Lord. Why? Because he cares for me. I can give him my cares because he cares for me. 1 Peter 5.7. goes on, you know, say this, like doubt. Maybe you're carrying doubt right now. Well, then you confess God has helped me to be a believer. I'm no longer a doubter. I'm no longer a glass is half empty. I'm a glass is half full kind of a person because Jesus can do the impossible. Or when you carry discouragement, maybe some of you are like going, I'm so discouraged right now. Well, then you say, hey, listen, God is with me and he's never going to leave me. I am not in this alone, according to Deuteronomy. In fact, if God is for me, who can be against me? It also says in the word of God. So I now confess that over my life. How about if you carry condemnation? Just can't get over that wrong choice you made. Well, according to the Bible, you can say this, Romans 8, 1. I am forgiven, I am chosen, and I am fully loved by God. Feeling weak right now? Well, then you confess, in my weakness, this is just an indication that God's strength will rescue me. Because the Bible says, when I am weak, I am strong in Christ because his strength works best in weaknesses, according to 2 Corinthians. See, what you do is you find a verse and then you personalize it. That's what I just did there. I found like five verses regarding five different topics, five different messages that we need to drop and what I did is I took those verses and I personalized them into prayers. Anybody can do this. You can do this. You can teach your children to do this. And I will encourage you, take the truth that's in the Word of God and personalize it into a confession, into a prayer, and speak it over yourself. See, don't speak the problem. Speak the promise. Don't speak the problem. Speak the promise. I, uh, I remember this, that years ago, a girl came up to me. I knew her. I know who she was. And a uh, real sharp girl, and she wanted prayer after one of the services. She's like, Pastor Jared, can you pray for me? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. What do you want prayer for? She started talking. And literally in, in 30 seconds, she probably said, this is not an exaggeration, she probably said 10 times in the 30 seconds, I just can't do this. I'm so stupid. I am so stupid. I can't do this. She said it like 10 times. Finally, I stopped her. I go, whoa, Megan, stop. 
I literally, I was like, stop. Why are you speaking the problem? Speak the promise. The promise says you're more than a conqueror. The promise says you're victorious. The promise says that you are a chosen daughter of the king. Why are you speaking all of this over your life? Because out of the heart, out of the mouth, the heart, the abundance of the heart, it spills out. And she had gotten into this thinking of a failure and I just can't do it. Don't speak the problem, speak the promise. So as we close in the last two minutes here, I want to encourage you, just speaking the promise isn't going to change things overnight. I want you to know that. It took many of you years to create the habitual thinking you have. I call it rut thinking. Like, you know when your car gets in a rut and it can't get back out or whatever? Okay, we have rut thinking. We have well-worn paths of thinking. It doesn't change overnight with a prayer, but this is what you do. Every day you confess the word of God over your life, the promise of God over your life, and little by little, through consistent confession of truth, you will see change. In fact, God instructed his people in the book of Exodus. He said this, little by little, I will drive them, meaning the enemy, out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. In other words, God will remove that stinking thinking little by little by little. You just got to consistently be speaking the truth over your life. I want you to know that God loves you. He's going to help you with this. No matter what message you're carrying right now that maybe you've carried for decades, today, today is the day that you throw away that message and you start writing a new message that you carry. And God will help you with that. I love what A.W. Tozer, an old revivalist, many, many years ago wrote. He said this. He said, the whole outlook of mankind might be changed if we could all believe we dwell under a friendly sky and that the God of heaven, although exalted in power and majesty, is eager to be friends with us. You know, one of the biggest lies that some of us are carrying is God is angry. But I love what A.W. Tozer said. If you are a Christ follower, you are living underneath a friendly sky. Not one of storms, not one of lightning going to strike you the minute you screw up. You live under a friendly sky. A God who is all-powerful and all-majestic, but also simultaneously wants to be your friend. And really... I end with this because I think a lot of us, we carry the wrong messages because we think God is mad at us. And I'm here today to tell you, God loves you. God is for you. God is with you even when the circumstances are against you. That God loves you with an unconditional love, which means you don't earn it and you don't deserve it. He loves you so much, he sent his son to die for you so that you can have a relationship with him. So as we go on this journey of finding the beautiful mind that God wants us to have, may we do it under a friendly sky, a God who loves us. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for all my friends. I pray, God, that you would remind us you are for us, You are with us. In fact, on this Pentecostal Sunday, you dwell in us. You 
care for us even when our feelings make us believe you're far away, you're not. Even when our choices make us drift from you, you're right there willing to take us back the minute that we ask for forgiveness. God, we live under a friendly sky. And I just pray that you would help us to think right thoughts, correct thoughts, accurate thoughts, not what culture or ourselves or other people have written for us, but rather what the Word of God says about us. Lord, thank you that you love us and that you will renew our mind. With every head still bowed and every eye closed, if you say, I really want to make Jesus the leader and the forgiver of my life. I want him to be my Lord and Savior. You're not joining a church today or anything like that. You're just saying, I want to accept Jesus into my heart, ask for forgiveness for all I've done wrong. I want a brand new life. I want heaven as my home someday. Doesn't mean life is going to be perfect, but now Jesus is the one that would be guiding your life and leading you. If that's you, go ahead and just raise your hand and say, I'd like to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, leader and forgiver. Anybody? Yeah, hands are up. I guarantee you at every location. Can we all end today by praying this prayer together? And if you raised your hand or even if you didn't, but you want this prayer to be true for you, God is listening to your voice specifically. Let's all say this prayer after me. Jesus, I come to you today and I invite you into my life. Forgive me of my sin. I believe that you died for me and that you love me with an unconditional love that I don't deserve, but you freely give. I want to live for you. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, put your hands together for what God is doing.